You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. While the Oakland A's of the 1970s were known as the Swinging A's, one key component of their success combined speed and defense. Our countdown has reached number 20, shortstop Bert Campaneris. Campy was born in Pueblo, Nueva, Cuba, and reached the majors with the Athletics in Kansas City in 1964. In the A's inaugural Oakland 1968 campaign, he led the American League in hits and steals. Ryman off the stretch, checking Campy. There goes Campaneris. The pitch is taken. Throw to second is right on target, but Campaneris beats it. Rudy down into the track at the plate. Campanaris is going towards third. Here's a pitch taken inside. Campy flies. He makes it. It was his speed that caused one of the most aggressive scenes in MLB playoff history. Game two of the ALCS in the bottom of the seventh with the A's leading five to nothing. Kurt Gowdy and Tony Kubek pick up the storyline. Campanaris has had quite a day. Three hits, three times up. Stolen two bases, scored two runs. They're shortened up at the corners on him, and he is by a pitch ball. Look out! Look out! He threw the bat. And here come both benches. Dick Williams trying to control Billy Martin. Look at Billy Martin there. Martin's a scrapper, you know. He's in a lot of fights in his career. That's John Rice. No, it isn't. One of the other umpires has Billy. He's after Campanellis for throwing the bat at his pitcher. be suspended for the rest of the ALCS but played in the 72 World Series against the Reds. That moment from the ALCS would not define Campy or his career. Back in the series the following year facing the Mets, he drove in the game-winning run of the 11th inning of Game 3. Then, in the winner-take-all Game 7 game at the Coliseum, Burt gave the A's the lead for good in the third inning. Blast gave the A's a 2-0 lead, and Reggie followed himself in the same inning with a two-run shot in the 5-2 win. Three times in Oakland, Campanaris led the league in steals, and his career total of 649 is still 14th all-time. He played 19 years in the league, 13 with the A's, and amassed 2,249 hits, still in the top 200 all-time. A key cog in the success of the athletics during the 1970s with speed, defense, and clutch hits. Number 20 on the top 50 countdown, shortstop Burt Campy Campanaris. He made the most of life in the Bay Area. He enjoyed a long playoff run won the MVP of an All-Star game, 
Set records that still stand in Oakland history. Not bad for a kid from a small town in Minnesota. At number 19 on the countdown, catcher Terry Steinbach. Steinbach was drafted out of the University of Minnesota in 1983. And four years later, he took the reins full time behind the plate and knew he had to learn quickly with a veteran staff. Being a young catcher when I came up, it was such a treat to have a veteran staff. Uh, you know, Stu Welchy, Mike Moore, those, those guys were very workable. You know, they tolerated me, and they obviously made me the catcher who I am. The sequence of pitches, the patterns that they did, the execution of pitches, you know, all I took in and, and, and was able to use that my whole career. In 1988, the Athletics began their long stretch of playoff success. But before that, the Midsummer Classic was in Cincinnati, and Steinbach, thanks to the work of many A's fans, was voted in to start a catcher despite a slow start. Once there, however, Terry made his mark. There's a drive in the right field, and back Strawberry all the way back, and it's out of his glove and over the wall for a home run. Terry Steinbach, the all-star, who a lot of people said should not be here, hits a home run. Doesn't it figure? That was a Cinderella story. We all know the situation going into that. And, and anyway, uh, you know, I go there and get to experience that and, and watching that ball go over for a home run and, and then getting the uh, sack fly, I think, in the fifth inning. Um, you know, it was just important. Then standing there with the trophy, you know, thinking, holy cow, how can, how can a guy from small town Minnesota, you know, New Alm, end up in Oakland in the Bay Area and be holding an all-star game trophy? You know, it was just a great experience. And do it in front of a lot of my teammates, too. I think we had... Five or seven guys on the team that year. The A's were about to embark on a magical time with lots of October baseball, of which Terry has plenty of fond memories. Playoff run was a blast. I mean, uh, it's one of those things, and we had veteran players, the Don Baylors, the Carney Lancers, the Dave Parkers, uh, Dave Hendersons. You know, they were telling us young guys, remember this, cherish this, because we're all young. I mean, you know, Mac, Ozzy, myself, and we're going to playoff year after year after year. You know, World Series, World Series, World Series, skip a year back in the playoffs again. And it, it, it was memorable. It was almost, it was very expected. I mean, I'll be honest with you, we, we, we expected to go, and it was very much a rush. I mean, you got so jacked up for those games, and they were so important. And for us, one time, you know, to finally have TP, you know, that last out, you know, throwing to act was just fantastic feeling. All 25 of Steinbach's postseason games were with the A's. A 281 average, two home runs, and 14 RBIs. In the 89 series, he drove in a run in three of the four games, homered in game two, and in total drove in seven runs. Later in his career, Steinbach set a franchise record with 34 home runs as a catcher and 35 for a season. It had a number of factors leading to that special power year. From a small Minnesota town of 13,000 to an iconic member of the Athletics all-time top 50 list at number 19, catcher Terry Steinbach. As a high schooler, he had a chance to play football for the legendary Paul Bear Bryant at Alabama, but he turned that down. If you think that led to a life of what if, well, that is far from the case. In fact, he has become one of the most popular and visible members of the athletics for decades. In at number 18, catcher Ray Fossey. Ray was a first round pick in the inaugural 1965 draft by Cleveland out of Marion High School in Illinois. He briefly got to the majors as a 20 year old. By the time he was 24 in 1972, he was a two time all-star and gold glover owned a 23-game hit streak, and was establishing himself as one of baseball's best. 
Then the world champion Oakland A's came calling. I'm traded for Dave Duncan, and George Hendrick was in trade, and, and Jack Heidemann. And I'm thinking Catfish and Vida and Kenny Holtzman and Raleigh and, and Bloom and all these pitchers, their catcher just left. So I'm thinking in my mind, these guys are world champions. So what am I going to do to help them? But I learned over time that they depended on their catcher. And so that helped me realize to the point that even though they're world champions, they were pitchers to the point of saying, you call a game, I'll throw the ball where you tell me to throw it and we'll win. But it was a shock. I never wanted to be traded but it worked out to be the best thing in my life. The A's achieved excellence in 1972 without Fossey, but continued their reign the following season with him. After a harrowing five-game ALCS against Baltimore, the A's played the New York Mets, and Fossey was part of the most unique plays in World Series history. It's a high fly in the left field. Not too deep, Rudy's there. Tagging is Harrelson, will he gamble? He's coming, here's the throw, and he is... I was on home plate. I moved to get the baseball. So as I went to get it, I'm thinking Harrelson's going to slide. So I just caught the ball, and as I started to go down, I saw he stood up, and I just kind of came up and grazed his uniform as he was trying to avoid the tag. But Augie Donatelli, great umpire, and he called him out. And that's when Willie Mays, he was on his knees telling Harrelson to slide. He had his arms up in the air. Yogi came running out, and, you know, he was mic'd, and, you know, Augie said, he got him on the break, break, you know. But I got him. The A's would win in seven and return again the following year to face the Dodgers in 1974 and beat them in five games to capture the third consecutive title as Ray contributed a home run off of Don Sutton in the clinching game. Fossey's career as a player continued until 1982 and included a return to Cleveland before ending in Milwaukee. But his time in the game would continue and again, he would come back to Oakland. Since 1986, Ray's been a part of the A's broadcast team on both TV and radio, providing commentary, interviews, and play-by-play -play for over 30 years. What is happening in Oakland, Ray Fossey? I have no idea, Glenn Kuyper. Ricky Henderson, number 939. And Lou Brock, probably the happiest guy on the field right now. He can finally make his speech, pass over the record to Ricky, and go about his business. He has been associated with the franchise for four to five decades and has seen almost every important moment in the history of the franchise. Not bad for saying no to Bear Bryant. In at number 18 on the top 50 countdown, catcher and broadcaster Ray Fossey. As the A's were looking to return to prominence in the late 90s, they employed a successful strategy to draft and develop college pitchers. And as it turns out, they went three for three from 1997 to 1999. Collectively, they became known as the Big Three. The first member of that group to enter the Oakland all-time top 50 list is in at number 17, pitcher Mark Mulder. Mulder was the second of the three to be drafted, second overall in the 1998 draft out of Michigan State. And his fast track got him to the big leagues two years later, along with Tim Hudson and Barry Zito, as the A's return to the postseason. For Mark, even though he missed those playoffs, that camaraderie was special. We were all kind of at one time or another together in AAA in 99. I was in Vancouver, Huddy kind of came up and was just 
dealing, you know, so he went to the big leagues, and then towards the end of that year, Zito came up for, like, the playoffs and stuff, so, you know, all these years, what made it so great is we pushed each other to be better. I don't know if I would have had the years I did here if it wasn't for those two guys. Just the fun that we had, the competition between each other, but yet we were all so close, and it wasn't even just those two guys, it was the entire team, but those two were, are very special to me. The following year, Mulder took a major step forward with 21 wins and a second-place finish in the Cy Young voting to Roger Clemens. On July 6th, against the Arizona Diamondbacks, Mulder almost achieved perfection. Spotless through seven, a Danny Batista leadoff single in the eighth was the only blemish as he went the distance. Curve, spun off the end of the mat, charging in the grass, barehand, Chavez throws and gets him, and the A's have won the game on a brilliant one-hit pitching performance by Mark Mulder, the best game of his young Major League career. Beginning with that game, Mulder would go 13-2 down the stretch and then face Clemens and the Yankees in game one of the ALDS, winning 5-3, pitching into the seventh inning. Swung and he struck him out. Justice goes for the splitter and comes up empty. I don't know that Ramon Hernandez has enough fingers to put down some pitches. He has so many. Mulder would match up with Clemens again in game five, but the A's fell short. The following season, Mulder was strong again with 19 wins, including three during the 20-game win streak as the A's returned to the postseason to face the Minnesota Twins. Mulder won game two, but despite seven strong innings and nine strikeouts, lost game five. On May 6, 2003, Mulder faced the White Sox lefty Mark Burley in an unusual game for the times. If you blinked, you missed it. And the pitch. Swinging a line drive, right into the club of Chavez, over the line at third, and the ball game is over. And Mulder comes through with his third consecutive complete game victory. But that stellar season was cut short in 03 with a stress fracture in his leg. But in 2004, Mulder found himself in the spotlight again. And batting ninth and warming up in the bullpen from the Oakland A's, pitcher Mark Mulder. Ladies and gentlemen, your 2004 American League All-Stars. Mulder would post four consecutive seasons of double-figure wins and finish his Oakland career with 81 before moving on to the St. Louis Cardinals. The strong left-hander from the Midwest is number 17 on the A's all-time top 50 list, pitcher Mark Mulder. Swung on, long drive, high into left center field. It's going to be a long run for Yount. He's at the wall. It's gone. It's a home run. Dave Henderson. Holy Toledo. Swing and a drive to straightaway center. Yount going back, still going, still going, still going, still going. Leap, and you can tell it goodbye. A Central Valley star athlete from Dos Palos was originally a Seattle first-round choice. His first Major League home run was at the Coliseum in 1981. He had a dramatic postseason home run for Boston in 1986, but his most sustained success came when he donned the white spikes beginning in 1988. In at number 16 on the top 50 countdown is outfielder Dave Henderson. By the time Henderson arrived in Oakland, he had seven big league seasons under his belt and a dramatic 1986 Game 5 ALCS home run propelling Boston to the World Series. His steady center field play was a perfect fit for the emerging A's, and he responded with a career year. A 305 batting average, 24 home runs, and 94 RBIs as the A's began their postseason run. 
After a disappointing 88 series loss, the A's returned to the Fall Classic against the Giants. In the four-game sweep, Hendu was a force. And that one is gone. Dave Henderson this time hits it over. But especially in a lineup like this one. And there's another towering drive in deep center field. Butler goes back and Henderson has hit his second home run. The fourth by the A's, the fifth on this winless night at Candlestick. And it's eight to three. Game three featured five Oakland home runs and they would clinch the title the following night. Henderson always thought his Central Valley gridiron success was the foundation for his tremendous October record. I think it's my football mentality. I've always been a football player, and uh, I think people don't understand fourth quarter mentality of a football player. And I've always been a leader of the defense. And uh, when you're on the three-yard line, you, you can't let that offense score, and you're hurt, you're beaten down. Kind of like in September, you've got Knicks and you know, everybody's hurt. You still got to find something deep inside you to crank it up. And that's fourth quarter mentality. And I've always had that. That's why I always thought I had an advantage over baseball players. I've always been a football player. He played in 36 postseason games, 24 with the A's. In all, Henderson hit seven postseason home runs, four of which came with the green and gold. Dave would end up a 14-year major league career, six with the Athletics. His lone All-Star season came in 1991, representing Oakland in Toronto. And 104 of his 197 career long balls were with the A's. Later, Dave would move to broadcasting with his original Seattle team and conduct fantasy camps for the Mariners and the A's before his tragic death at the age of 57 in 2015. His flair for delivering in the biggest moments made him an integral part of Oakland A's history and places him at number 16 on the all-time top 50 list, outfielder Dave Henderson. was part of a lineage of outstanding third baseman in Oakland history, but the Santa Clara native needed a trade to come home. And when he did, after six previous Major League seasons, his steady play gave him a title that few have had with the A's. In at number 15, Carney Lansford. From Wilcox High in Santa Clara, Lansford was drafted by the California Angels in 1975 and reached the majors three years later. By 1981, he was on the move to Boston where he won a batting title the same year. But 1983 was different because that meant he was coming home. Starting off with the Angels was great because you're on the West Coast still, not that far from the Bay Area. But then when we went to Boston, that was a long ways away. I mean, I really enjoyed our time there. But when we heard that it was coming down to either the New York Yankees or the Oakland A's, we were absolutely praying for the Oakland A's. And when we got word that I had been traded to the A's, we were absolutely ecstatic. As the number two hitter in the lineup with Ricky Henderson as your teammate, there was a responsibility and an understanding. Their first run together was met with opposition from the free-swinging Lansford. But the next time, when Ricky returned, Lansford figured communication was key. One of the first things I said to him was, Ricky, let's talk a little bit about what we can do here. I want you to steal bases. We need you to steal bases. Can you give me a sign when you're on base? Like, do you know you're going to steal, whether it's first or second? And if it's a pitcher I feel confident against, 
I'll take a strike, maybe sometimes even two, and still feel like I can put the ball on play. And so he would do that. It was a very simple sign. He would just stand on first base and pick the outside of his pants. And I would take a strike for him, and it worked out so much better. So from then on, it was like perfect situation. Carney just missed his second batting title that year, losing to Kirby Puckett, but was part of the home run barrage in game three of the 1989 World Series. Now Lansford hits it in the air to left field and deep, and going back is Mitchell, and that one is gone. And that ties a World Series record for most home runs in the game by a team and most in the game by two teams as well. It's 9-3. to three. As Lansford's career continued, Tony La Russa recognized the leadership Carney gave the team and provided him the captain's distinction. And what wasn't lost on him was knowing the history of his hometown team. For me, it was huge because I was from this area. I grew up watching the 72, 3, and 4 A's when I was in high school. They were so successful. I watched Captain Sal on the commercials promoting the team come out and watch us. And, uh, and then to be able to come back here and play third base after him, and then for Tony to give me the honor of calling me a captain, that's just the, the greatest compliment because, in my opinion, Sal Bando, he was one of my biggest idols growing up. And uh, to be put in that same even mentioned with him is an honor to me. Ten years of his 15-year career was with Oakland, concluding in 1992. A lifetime 288 hitter as an A and 306 in 29 Oakland postseason games. The baton has since been passed Eric Chavez and now Matt Chapman, but he is a part of excellence at the hot corner. In at number 15, third baseman Carney Lansford. Two-two pitch hit deep to right field, way back, and Jason Jambi has hit his first major league home run. He broke into the big leagues working in the shadow of Mark McGuire. As Big Mac mentored him, his game and power grew. An MVP award, 440 home runs later, 198 of those in the green and gold, and that resume places our next entrant at number 14 on the Oakland All-Time Top 50 list, first baseman Jason Giambi. Three years out of Long Beach State as a second round pick, Giambi burst on the MLB scene in 1995 with six home runs in 54 games. But the following season, 1996, began a string of 20 or more home runs in six consecutive seasons. He knows that someone had to be the band leader to baseball's most unique clubhouse. When I first broke into the big leagues, from Ricky to Eckersley to McGuire and Steinbach, and, all, and the list goes on and on, to Hudson Molderzito, and you know, I saw a lot of great players come through this organization. It's been a lot of fun. His final two seasons and his first go-round with the A's were as dominant as any in Oakland history. He beat out Frank Thomas for the 2000 MVP award with a 1.123 OPS, including 43 home runs and 137 RBIs. He followed that up with a 1.137 OPS, 38 home runs, and 120 RBIs, and a second place finish for the MVP award to Ichiro Suzuki. It also included his signature moment in an Oakland uniform, facing the Yankees on August 12, 2001. Drama right here to this final out of the ninth inning, if it is. Off speed, swung, long drive, way back, right field. Jason Giambi is the man in capital letters. He has defeated the Yankees with one swing of his bat, a two-run home run, and the place has gone wild. Holy Toledo, A's four, Yankees two, sweep. He left the following year to join his childhood favorite team, the New York Yankees. 
Eventually, Jason returned to Oakland as an elder statesman in 2009, doing his mentoring and chasing history. Payoff pitch on the way. Swung on, launched to deep right field. Giambi has uncorked it. Back is up, and that's number 400. Giambi has reached the number. He would play for Colorado and Cleveland after a second A stint to complete a 20-year Major League career. With over 2,000 hits, but only one World Series appearance, losing to the Marlins with the 0-3 Yankees, Giambi yearned for what could have been with Oakland and the joys of his time in the East Bay. If we just had a little bit of time, this would have been a dynasty. There would have been no doubt. I mean, especially with the players that started to come up after I had left, too. There were some great players. and. Uh, but like I said, this will always be a fun place for me. I mean, I got to play two years with my brother and, uh, you know, first organization and great times and, and, and great things happening. So it's always going to be a lot of fun and it's a great honor to be here. A fun-loving, power-hitting first baseman who became one of the franchise's most popular players, number 14 on the Oakland All-Time Top 50 list, first baseman Jason Giambi. He wasn't the Friday night pitcher at Auburn, the lexicon reserved for the ace of the pitching staff. And the majority of his career was spent away from the East Bay. But for six seasons, his bulldog mentality and tenacious sinker made him a key component to the A's success. And his place among the big three gets him this special recognition. In at number 13 on the Oakland all-time top 50 countdown is pitcher Tim Hudson. Hudson was the first of the big three to arrive making his debut on June 8th, 1999 at San Diego. Ooh, there it is. Nasty pitch. Striking out Owens. That was the splitter. Shaking his head. I didn't pitch very deep in the game. I think I pitched five innings. I had a lot of traffic on the bases, but he was able to strike out a bunch of guys, but gave up a few runs. Ended up getting a no decision that game, but you know, I was just excited and relieved that I finally had my first opportunity to pitch in the big leagues, and glad I'd done good enough to not get sent down and try to start establishing myself as a big leaguer. He finished his rookie campaign with an 11-2 record and a 3-2-3 ERA. He would raise the stakes in 2000 as the A's began the return to October baseball. April, however, saw Huddy's ERA set at 5.46, but he and the team both caught fire in the second half. A 21-7 September sprint gave the A's a half-game lead in the West on the season's final day with Hudson on the mound. Biggest game for us of the year. You know, if we win, we're in the playoffs. And what I recall, if we don't win, I think we had to go play a, a makeup game somewhere. I think maybe Tampa. So it was a huge game. Close ball game all the way through. Was able to get a lead, able to make the lead last. And Izzy came in and shut the door right there at the end. You know, it was just really exciting for us because we felt like it was the start of something special. And, and it was, you know, even though we didn't do what we wanted to do in the playoffs in the coming years, we knew that we were going to be good enough to have a chance. Strike three cold. The A's win the West. And here they come, pouring onto the field in the center of the diamond. Forget St. Petersburg and Tampa Bay. Look to next Tuesday here at the Net. The celebration is on. It started a run of four consecutive West titles, and the charge was led by Hudson, Mulder, and Zito. For so many years, you know, you couldn't really mention one of us without mentioning the other two. So, you know, we're all pretty synonymous with each other, and. Um, you know, I know that my career, and, and I, I would probably think that their career wouldn't be as good as it is without all of us being together. I know that they made me a better pitcher. They helped push me throughout my time here in Oakland uh, to be all the, you know, to be as, as good as I possibly could be. And, um, 
and they're great teammates. That was the one thing. Uh, you know, even though we, we played well on the field together, uh, you know, it was a gr great group of guys to spend in that locker room with. Only six of his 17-year career were spent with the Athletics, but he was dominant with 92 wins and only 39 losses. His final road start of his career came on September 26, 2015 as a giant against Barry Zito and the A's. While the score didn't reflect the importance of each pitcher on the A's and their fans, and with Mark Mulder in attendance, it was the final appearance of the big three together. In at number 13 on the Oakland Top 50 list, pitcher Tim Hudson. He was a microcosm of things to come with the A's, part of a young core of talented players. As they improved, so did Oakland's place in the American League West. He became an Ironman, significant contributor to the 20-game win streak and eventual MVP. And he's number 12 on the Oakland all-time top 50 list, shortstop Miguel Tejada. Tejada was signed from the Dominican Republic in 1993 and reached the majors four years later for 26 games. When the A's returned to the postseason in 2000, they got there in part because of the power bat from Miguel. That year started a string of three consecutive 30 homer, 100 RBI campaigns. And at a time that his position featured the likes of Jeter, Nomar, A-Rod and others, Tejada found a way to capture his share of the spotlight. The following season began a stretch of six straight years, three with Oakland, of playing every day. Eventually that streak reached 1,152 games into the 2007 season. Near the end of the 01 season, Tejada attained a personal highlight. And if you're going to hit for the cycle, there's no better way than this. Paniagua ready, here's the pitch. Fastball hit the left field deep. King sailed back at the track. He's at the wall. It is gone. It's a grand slam cycle for Miguel Tejada. And as the next season unfolded, Tejada would have even bigger moments for him and the team. It was a magical summer, racing into history with a winning streak for the ages. While Scott Hatterberg's unforgettable home run capped the 20-game win streak, they may have not got there without Tejada as was the case for game 18. Randy Velarde at second, Ray Durham at first, one out in the bottom of the ninth. And Gardado deals. And it's a drive to left field deep. Jones going back, looking up. It is gone. It's gone. Tahana wins it. Do you believe it? 18 wins in a row. And again for number 19. Grimsley ready. He deals, and it's a line drive base hit center field. Greg Myers scores from third. Tejada wins another ball game. 19 straight for the Athletics. They've tied the all-time American League record. He would cap the season with the MVP award thanks to a 308 average, 34 home runs, and 131 RBIs beating out A-Rod and former teammate Jason Giambi for the honor. He hit 154 home runs in his seven seasons with the A's, part of a 16-year career that included five more teams. While he continued to amass more numbers as a power-hitting shortstop, his only postseason experience were the four consecutive years from 2000 to 2003 with Oakland. In an era of great shortstops, he made sure that his abilities were recognized. 
In at number 12 on the all-time Oakland Top 50 countdown is Miguel Tejada. He was the first on two fronts, one for the A's and the other for Major League Baseball. He had a combination of power and speed that excited Oakland fans. He had swagger and was ostracized by the league after a controversial book, but welcome back to the Oakland family at a reunion celebrating World Series success. Number 11 on the top 50 countdown is outfielder Jose Canseco. Drafted out of a Miami high school in 1982, Canseco reached the majors as a 20-year-old for 29 games four years later. And that introduction set the stage for an award no Oakland Athletic had previously won. I remember my first, I think, six plate appearances or eight, I struck out eight times in a row. And thinking, oh my God, is pitching that much more different here in the main cities than it was in the minor leagues. But I got lucky enough to be voted to the Rookie of the Year after that, which started, of course, the domino effect. Now we get Mark McGuire coming in, 87, Rookie of the Year, 1988, Weiss coming in, and we started a trend three years in a row, Rookie of the Year, which was, I think, a start of a, of a dynasty and a great team, a great organization. He played 157 games with 33 home runs and 117 RBIs and beat out Wally Joyner for the Rookie of the Year award. In his nine years with the A's, five times he would amass at least 30 home runs and 100 RBIs. Two seasons later, with McGuire already in the group and Weiss to become the third consecutive rookie of the year, the A's were ready to make their return to the postseason. A sprinkling of veterans made for a very talented roster, and through that, Canseco was ready to chase history. He's leaning a little bit right now. He's running. <laughs> As the A's returned to October baseball, Canseco helped Oakland into their first World Series since 1974 with three home runs in the ALCS against the Red Sox. While the A's lost to the Dodgers in five games in that World Series, Canseco had the big moment in game one. Well, at least until Kirk Gibson batted in the ninth. And there's a drive to center. Back goes Shelby to the wall. It is gone. Grand slam home run for and look where he hit it. Jose Canseco makes Tommy Lasorda sit quietly, and that's quite a trick. It took a grand slam home run to do it, and did he ever smoke it? Back to the playoffs in 1989, and another monster drive in game four at the Sky Dome off Mike Flanagan. All seven of his postseason home runs and 254 of his 462 long balls came with Oakland. All the time away from the A's, and authoring his inside look at the game, Canseco wondered if he would ever be welcomed back, but he got his answer at the 25th anniversary of the 89 series. I remember coming back here a few years back and really being nervous, didn't know if I was going to be accepted, especially after I wrote that book, Juice. And I tell you what, the Oakland A's family, the, the, the team, organization, the fans had open arms for me, and it was uh, very emotional for me. It was awesome. One half of the Bash Brothers enters at number 11 on the top 50 countdown, outfielder Jose Canseco.